Me and my buddy Randy. My buddy Randy drove truck for me. Him and I went to high school together, and he was my truck driver. He'd drive me across country everywhere. <laughs> Anyhow, him and I were sitting having a couple beers the night before the race. Dick O'Brien said, well, that's a, that's a $500 fine, having a beer the night before the race. I said, well, make it 1000 because I'm going to have another one. <laughs> Episode 41, Tank Slapping Podcast. It's Springer week. I'm just jumping right into it, Sammy. It is Jay Springsteen week. You can't we are gonna hold have, back. We're going to have uh, the gunslinger, the old gunslinger on the show tonight. We've been trying for this one for a long time, man. And you made it happen, dude. I'm stoked. Yeah, um, thanks to uh, drinking some beers at Springer and took a lot of finessing. <laughs> but uh, talked him into it somehow. So, yeah, I'm hyped too, Corey. I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, he's arguably one of the most popular riders of all time in the sport. I mean, the audience loves Springer, the crowd, the fans, whatever you want to call it. Anytime they announce Springsteen at a race or anytime he does well, the, the fans are on their feet. Super likable guy, just, you know, amazing talent. Rookie of the year, three-time champion. He's just incredible, and I'm I'm excited because he's a pretty pretty funny dude, man. It, it's gonna be funny to uh, chat with Jay. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, you know when you think about different motorcycle racers over the years, uh, it doesn't matter who loves them. There's always somebody that doesn't like them, right? There's somebody that doesn't like Jared Meese. There's somebody that doesn't like Chris Carr. There's somebody that doesn't like Scotty Parker for whatever reason. But when you talk about Springer, man, I don't know anybody that doesn't like Jay Springsteen. Like that's no actually one. crazy. And true, because you think about motorcycle racers across the board, like Rossi, Marquez, yeah. Carmichael, Bubba Stewart, you know, even NASCAR guys, Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt, Rusty Wallace, like everybody hates or likes them. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if anybody likes Corey Texter, but we got a lot of people that don't like him, so... <laughs> Pretty, uh, yeah, pretty awesome. But no, yeah, Jay, Jay I'm going to let you put your own foot in your mouth uh, uh, on that oh, one, Corey. I'm, I'm okay with it, dude. I'm okay with it. It's fine. I've, uh, I've accepted that role. But yeah, Jay, man, he, everybody likes Jay. He's a good dude. Uh, it's going to be awesome to talk to him. I want to make sure we shout out our sponsors to make this show happen week in and week out. Bell Power Sports. All three champions from last season wore the Bell Race Star Flex. Make sure you check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. I say it every week, but the quality and safety of these helmets really are unmatched. If you check safety ratings online, the Bell helmets are always at the top of the board. So if you uh, start tank slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. Big shout out, as always, to Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, commercial and industrial roofing company. He, him and his team have nearly 40 years of experience, commercialroofsystems.net. Make sure you check out his website and, and thank him for supporting our podcast and supporting the sport. DID Chains, they're one of our new sponsors, and we're super excited to have them on board. They are the driving force behind countless championships since 1933. Entrust DID Quality Chains in their winning tradition for your race program today. Hit them up on social media, guys, at DID Chain with any questions on their products or to get some advice on what option is best for your motorcycle. They're super knowledgeable. They'll get back to you. Make sure you hit them up. Send them a message and, and get some products for, for your motorcycle street bike, dirt bike, all kinds of stuff. Also, shout out to AIM Sports. 
They are the worldwide leader in motorsports data acquisition displays and sensors. I just got a brand new Solo 2 that I'm going to be using for testing and things like that this winter. So I'm super excited. Many top teams in the American Flat Track Series and many other series around the globe use the AIM Sports products, including the G&G Racing Team that I ride for. Definitely really cool stuff. Once you get these products, these data displays and things like that, you're going to want to use them all the time. It's super addicting. It's really helped me kind of strengthen my race program over the last few years. So make sure you check them out. The AIM Sports data out on Instagram and Facebook is at AIM Sports, comma, LLC. So big thank you to our sponsors that make this show happen. As always, big thank you to the fans, too, for all your support. What can we talk about before we call Jay, Sammy? Um, there's a couple of things I guess we can chat about. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know where you want to start, Corey. I guess uh, this is something I just kind of saw was the shakeup with uh, Brian Bigelow, Henry Wiles. Did you see that? Yeah, I did see that. Mike Turner, man. Yeah, Uh, going big. He swooped Bigelow and uh, brought Wiles with him, and they're going to back that up with Zabala and Bruner. And I think uh, they're building a production twins for Cameron Smith. So it's going to be pretty big, big team there. You know, uh, Mike, Mike Turner, I'm, I'm glad to see him, uh, you know, stepping up. But obviously, uh, there, there's a lot of other things to talk about, too. Corey, you got anything? Well, I don't know if we talked about it much, but the um, the traction control rule for this year uh, that they just brought in, we, I think we mentioned it in the rule book a little bit, but I kind of wanted to talk about it a little bit more yeah. and get your thoughts on it, Sammy. I mean, basically, any bike that isn't, a super twin technically by nature. So the Yamaha, the Kawasaki that wants to run in super twins. Now you're allowed to basically do anything to the bike as far as sensors, traction control, ECUs, things like that. I think it's like I said, we touched upon a little bit, but I don't think we did it justice the magnitude of how different it could change things really. Yeah, no, because last week when we talked about it, literally it was like, I mean, hours before those rules got spit out. And so we didn't really have time to really look at them or, you know, go over them or think about them the way that we have for the past week or so. So yeah, it's, um, you know, um, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'm usually like pretty neutral on things, you know, and I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, I was looking for the bright side, uh, I don't know so far, you know, I'm not, I'm not thrilled with it, man. I'm really not, you know, I'm not totally thrilled with traction control. You know, it's same with MotoGP, man. I I don't like to see traction control there. I like to put it in the rider's hands, you know, that's just me though. Yeah, honestly, it makes it really tough because realistically, the only bike in the Super Twins right now is the Essencing team. And realistically, I feel they're the only team that really can afford to do the traction control on the production bikes in Super Twins. I mean, you know, it's a lot more than than just, oh, let's plug this in and boom, we have, you know, we have have what we need. But I I feel like you need to hire one or two time full time data guys yeah. For the entire year, you got to spend all the tens of thousands of dollars on the products, give or take, you know, depending on what what anybody uses. And then, you know, all the testing and it might be even more money. I wouldn't surprise me in the, in the slightest to see some of these Yamaha Super Twins bikes have more money into them than the Indians. Honestly, I mean, it's it's going to be crazy. Basically, I saw I think I saw a comment from Mike Kidd that basically the most well-paid person on your team might very well be your data guy to kind of run that run that program it's kind of a MotoGP style thing but 
I guess it's sort of needed to try and get that Yamaha on par with the Indian, but man, it's uh, I'm just glad the production twins class doesn't have that to think about because that would throw a big, a big wrench in the, uh, a lot of guys' programs. So. Yeah, well, like you said, it's going to cost a lot of money for the teams that, you know, utilize that. Because like you said, Corey, it's not just as easy as pushing a button and making it work, right? You're, there's going to be a lot of testing and, and, you know, a lot of R&D work that's going to have to go into that uh, program to, to, you know, to be able to capitalize on it. So you're right. It's going to be the little bit more well-funded teams that are going to be able to, you know, truly capitalize on that, I guess. I'm kind of surprising myself with all my big words tonight. Uh <laughs> But uh, anyway, uh, I was gonna say. I think it takes away from. I think it takes away from more teams that might have wanted to try Super Twins on a production-based bike. Like for me, for example, with this new rule, it doesn't make me want to do it more. It makes me want to do it less because I just the amount of money it would take. uh, You know, going out there and racing. Another brand, another production brand is Super Twins. If we're all on kind of equal stuff, it's more, you know, appealing to me than one team or a couple teams that have $100,000 set up, you know, on their ECUs or their data, things like that. I don't want to race another brand, a similar brand. It kind of takes away from a lot of other teams possibly wanting to move up. And I'm open-minded to everything. We'll see how it kind of all plays out. I don't know how beneficial it'll be on dirt. I'm sure with the right person, it can be very beneficial, but I'm, uh, I'm open-minded. I, I don't love it right now, like you said. You know, like I said, my, I'm with you, Corey. I'm kind of like, ah, I'm not sure yet. I don't think I like it from what I, you know, my own thoughts right now, which that's not saying much. Uh, I don't like it. But, you know, on the flip side of that coin, I hope that, you know, the best outcome for it would be to see some other brands in the Super Twins run up front or uh, be a little bit more competitive. And I guess, you know, if you're looking at it from that perspective, that's a good thing, right? No, it is. More brands is good, but it's kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, it's companies that, I don't know, like, if the fans realize it. I mean, sport looks great, and we're doing really good things, and but we're still struggling getting sponsorships, still struggling getting getting money for our teams and our riders. I mean, I got yeah. turned down. I couldn't get free handlebars from a company this year. And, Damn. And, uh, you know, it costs millions of dollars to race in the Super Twins class. You know, it costs a lot of money to race Super Twins. And a lot of those riders, they have, you know, some of them don't care about social media. They're not, they can't even get free product. And then we got to spend lots of money to race at the top level. It needs to coexist a little bit where, the companies in the industry, they, they see what the sport is doing at the top level with the Super Twins class and how much money it takes to play ball and, and our, our haulers and our setups and our banners and everything we have to offer. It needs to make sense to where the riders are getting paid from these companies or they're at least getting free product. I mean, hell, I don't know. I don't even want to know what our series would look like without Tim Essenson or Jerry Stinchfield or Mike Ooh. Turner, basically, you know, Wally Brown, the basically G and G racing, of course, you know, I don't know what the series would look like if just some of these individuals didn't sponsor the sport, you know, it's, I feel like those yeah. people we mentioned, and there's some more, they keep the sport going. And 
There's a lot of individuals back. out there. Yeah, you're right, Corey. There's a lot of individuals. And, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, kind of, man, not to be a Debbie Downer, but like, you know, hey, we all want the best for this, right? We're all in the same boat. We want to see this thing make it. And uh, right now, you know, uh, we're, we're kind of like faking it till we make it, right? Let's just hope we can uh, we can get there sooner than later because, uh, you know, you guys, the riders, uh, man, you, you guys deserve to make a living. Um, well, and, and, yeah, I mean, you say that, Sammy, and I agree. But at the same time, these riders need to help themselves. I mean, we have some of these top riders that have – they might post twice a year on social media. They might have 3,000 followers. They're, you know, posting videos of them getting drunk all the time. On so Like, I mean, well, the riders need to do a better job at being professionals and treating treating what they do like it's a profession. Um, you know, the companies outside, of you know, in the industry – it's really tough to, for, for, for me as a flat tracker to get sponsorship that I feel we deserve opposed to a road racer or a motocross racer. And our sport is very good, good TV coverage. You know, it's um, what Michael Locke and them have done is really, really good, but it needs to translate over to the you know, companies in the industry so we can, the riders can make money and it can all be, uh, it, all, it can all coexist. But no, I, it'll be interesting. I, I'm yeah. open-minded, but I just thought that, I was thinking about it this week. I'm like, eh, that's definitely going to yeah, so, be so a So what's game on your mind, Corey? <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, going to be a game changer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we need to get all these people in the industry out to a race, man. We got to do it because I tell you what, you go to one race and uh, it, it, it'll change your life, man. I mean, once you go to one Grand National, you know, AFT event, uh, there, there's nothing better. There's nothing in the world like it that compares. There, there really isn't, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, not to knock any other racing, but man, you know, maybe yeah. I'm biased, but Hey, there's nothing like, you know, flat track motorcycle racing. It, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. No, it's obviously awesome. Cause I, I've been doing it my whole life, but it needs to translate over to, uh, for, for these companies to make money. I mean, they, they invest in the riders and the riders need to do their job to, um, make it worthwhile and for these companies and just some business shit, man. It's <laughs> just like the business side of flat trick. I, I have a lot of passion in and it's, you know, everyone's like, Oh, you can't make money racing this sport, blah, blah. I mean, dude, you can, you, that's the, that's a bad attitude to have. Like you gotta, you gotta look at it as it, as if it's your, you know, your job, your career and, we have fun with it, you know, shit like that. But man, it's it's got to translate over. So that's man. something I'm I'm working with riders, man. I just collectively as a whole, if if you know, like I do my job with social media, but I want all the riders collectively to do their job because when these companies are looking, oh, who's riding for Factory Harley or who's riding for you know who's riding for this team and this kid won a race but he hasn't posted in three months. It's just collectively if we all do our job and treat this sport you know uh like it's our profession our job then i think it'll go over well within the industry but nah we could talk about this forever sammy i i want to call springer up dude I, i've been amped up talking to yeah. talk to this guy for months Me so let's too. give let's Me give too. jay a call we'll change the tone up a little bit I'm sure yeah let, let's drinking let's, a brew let's, <laughs> yeah let, let's let's flip the script a little bit man and you know let's have a good time you know it's uh hey you know it, it's winter time you know or uh, yes. Is it officially winter yet? I mean, it's winter time. It's December. Cold enough I don't care. to be winter. Yeah, it's cold enough to be winter, man. We're all, you know, in our houses, twiddling our thumbs. And uh, let's enjoy this, man. We're going to talk to Jay Springsteen. Carter, give him a ring. Hey, 
Hello. Springer man, Corey Texter, Sammy Sabedra. How the hell are you, dude? Oh, things are good. Things yeah. are good. Just been hanging to top fear at home. Man, I got to welcome you on behalf of the show, Corey, myself, all our fans. I mean, to have Springer Man on the show is pretty special. And there's no way I can start this show off that I, that I know of any better than by beers. <laughs> uh, hey, yeah. that that is. I'm gonna take. <laughs> you got to throw a little backstory to that man for well, the. For our I listeners. tell you, after a motorcycle race, I would not go to your pit area and want to bum a beer. <laughs> not a quarter like that. Uh, no. Man, no, you, you, got, no. you drink water, and then there are only six ounces. <laughs> so it's like I had to get like twelve of them to go to wander around through the pit area. I have to take a cooler with me. All right. In, in my defense, let me back up. Let me explain this a little bit. So we were gonna stay. We had a hotel and everything. We're gonna stay after you know the last race of the year. We're gonna spend the night. But then we're like, ah, oh, screw it. We're we're just gonna leave tomorrow night. So the night before, we're like, well, let's drink all the beer because we're not drinking it tomorrow night and hitting the road. So. All- all we had left was the little mini cans, you know, and uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and those guys, you know, uh, Brian Willis and Kevin Barnes and them, they got them as a joke for me because they're little. Uh, I don't know where that, where they're going with that. Anyway, but, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to flip it around on those mini cans. You know, I'm going to use that as the social media thing because, you know, uh, those little cans, they make my hands look good, big, you know, yeah. they make them look good. You know what the uh, girls say, man. You know, big hands, big, hands, big gloves. Right. You're still dreaming. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, yeah, I should have bet on that one, man. What about it. Corey, man? Corey did a super good job down in Florida down there. I was proud of him. I appreciate yep. that, Jay. Thank you. Yeah, yep. man. It looked like Ever... your, your bike just went around the track. I was like, man, you just like you had that thing slammed to the ground, and it was like it just <laughs> railed around there. Never been a short track fan, but you got to like them all. So it is what it is. Now, we appreciate you coming on, Jay. There's a lot of stuff we could talk about, but no, I just kind of wanted to chat with you. You had a a really good amateur career into your professional career. You were very successful at such a young age. You know, you were rookie of the year in 1975, and then you went on to become a three-time champion, 76, 77, and 78. How did you go from kind of looking up to the guys one year at the pro level and then all of a sudden beating them. Like, where did that confidence come from? Oh, just hanging, I guess, apparently with all the racers here from Michigan. Uh, uh, there were some good talent guys there. You know, there was when I went with the factory uh, right off the bat with Rex Bochim, Corky Keener, and it just went on. There was Kel Russweber up there as a mechanic and, it was great to run in with them, and their Bart Marco was right here in Michigan. And everything just kind of fell together, and I I felt more confident on my motorcycle than hanging out and doing interviews. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I got to tell you, man. You know, uh, it, it, you know, Michigan people are some proud people, man. Pure Michigan, baby. I mean, you guys are as proud as it can get. Auto City, man. I mean, all the yep. trick parts yep. you guys got from uh, your access to some killer machine shops, thanks to uh, General Motors, should I say? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yep. you know, yep. uh, yeah, yeah, man. Uh, just tell us a little bit about Michigan. I mean, we have listeners from all over that aren't too hip to like what you guys had going on back in those days in Michigan. What what was yeah. Michigan like? 
like Bart Marco, he worked for the factory and the General Motors stuff, uh, and he could build parts and pieces in the shop that nobody had, and well, he was probably getting paid to to make them, you know, uh, racing <laughs> parts. And there's a lot of good things here, and it was it was pretty cool how everything fell together. You, you, you know, another thing, Jay, man, I know you've had a ton of guys come up and stay with you. And, uh, I mean, anybody should know this. And if you don't know this, Jay Springsteen is a huge outdoorsman. Uh, you're probably right there neck and neck with, you know, another fellow Michigander, uh, Ted Nugent. You know, you, yeah. you, you know you're right. You're up there hunting and, and, and doing it doing it up, man. Uh, you know, you've taken a lot of guys under your wing up there out on the lake fishing in your boats and, you know, up there hunting, man. Who's the worst guy that has, uh, that, that, that you've taken hunting or fishing or Jared Mees. <laughs> I go out and I go out, I could go out and I could go out and kill a deer and come back before he even showed up sometimes. <laughs> and then I've taken him out and before, and we never seen a thing. Man, how come you can go out Springer and get one? And I can't. Every time I go, I don't ever see anything. I go, dude, you got shower, brush your teeth or something once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had a hard time struggling, but he loved. I took him salmon fishing, and he got pretty good at that. And uh, keeps telling me he wants me to take him back to Harrisville Harbor, and we go fishing at night when we think we're invisible out there, and. You know, they don't fight as good when you hook them in the mouth. They fight better when you got hooked in the side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but we, I take him doing that, and he really enjoys doing that. And we've been talking about going back the last few years, and just things haven't fell together to do it. But we still go up there and cut up and do that now and then, have a few cocktails and laugh about it. And, and, and uh, we always come home with fish. I know that. <laughs> That's always a good thing. Yeah, man, I was watching, and I watch old YouTube video races and stuff like that when I'm riding my bicycle inside, and I came across, it was the 2000 Springfield Mile. It turned out it was your last Grand National win. It was so cool to see. What was that like, that last win? I think you were 43 years old when you won that race. Yeah. And you pretty much pulled away on the last lap. Like, it was kind of a battle for a while, and then you won probably by half a straightaway at the end. Talk about that last win, man. It was just uh, Jim Kelly was building the motors, and I had Jim Joe Bishop helping me prepare the bikes at the races, and everything kind of just fell together that day, and Jim built me a good bike, and... I just, uh, when them guys asked me how you do it, and I told them the throttle stuck. I just kept it <laughs> wide open, don't lift. You know, I seen Kenny Kulbeck do that uh, one year, and I was like, he's going to pull the Springer move on him right around the outside, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, well, if anybody can hold an XR wide open, man, there would be nobody better than uh, Jay Springsteen to do that. And, you know, you wrote a lot of XRs over the years, man. I mean, you know, you wrote them from the, you know, the mid-70s to, to yeah. you know, the latest versions of the XR. Uh, yeah. You know, thinking back, uh, was there – do you have any favorite motorcycles that like, you know, like, oh, man, this one was – this one was sweet. This one this oh. one was special. Uh, a couple of different times where I race at Indy Mile, you know, I could, uh, when I'd go to the factory and pick up the equipment and go, and then we'd be fire them up, and Bill Warner had been running them on the dyno, and, and you could hear the carburetor just whistling, 
you know, and it's like, whoa, this is going to be a good one. Yeah, Give me goosebumps when you said that. Yeah, it was like just you could just feel it, you know. Love it. I uh, I was digging the bull taco cup you guys did a few months back. That was really entertaining to watch, and you really haven't lost much speed, man. You feel like you could still go out there and be competitive in the AFT uh, stuff. If there was only three laps, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I enjoyed doing that. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was very hot that day, and and I told Joe Cop that thing. I said, "I'm glad you beat me, man, because I was done." But we had problems with my uh, my bike, so I had to jump on another bike that I never rode. And it was good though. But uh, I enjoyed it. Me and Scotty Parker went together. We rode down there in his motorhome, and and uh, kind of when the COVID thing was really starting to take off there, and it was it was a lot of fun. It was probably probably going to be one of my last times I rode. And the last time I rode a Botaco was like 1974. And then uh, rode that one. I did ride one once before, Indy before Indy Mile. They had a Botaco Cup race. So I haven't rode them a lot, but it was a lot of fun. I uh, enjoyed the people we worked with there and the own the equipment. And it was good. And then me and Parker, we, we were pro that day afterwards. And, and we put the other, the young boys, we put them to bed. Every one of those Astro tuners, they, they were saying that their Astro was the best. Uh, this is the best one, watching watching the footage. How was how was the blue girl you rode? It looked like she was pretty good. Yeah, I always, I said it was blue by you because it was the only one, but, <laughs> they, you know, the guys made a good attempt and everything, you know, uh, but there was better equipment out there, you know, and it was a draw of a card how you pick your motorcycle and they should let the old guys go pick their motorcycle which one they wanted because the ones that jared had and and chris had a couple of the other guys the equipment was just a little better than everybody else's my feelings yeah obviously you know you talk about scotty parker a little bit another you know uh michigan guy right um i heard about a wild story about you and scotty parker on the turnpike once well, what happened there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 years ago, we were headed to Hagerstown, and we were on the Pennsylvania, on the Ohio, Pennsylvania Turnpike, and and me and a friend of mine, we were, we were taking turns driving, and Scotty and Wine was sleeping. So we stopped to refuel the motorhome. Well, Scotty and Wine had got out the passenger side of the motorhome. We refueled, and jumped in it and took off, started going down the road. We made it about an hour down the road, and the car said, hey, man, SP, man, we're getting pulled over. Well, there was no comment. I said, hey, Scotty, man, we're getting pulled over. No comment. Well, we get pulled over, and the coppers come up to the window. You got, are you guys missing anyone? <laughs> <laughs> so we're in Scotty Parker's motorhome, and, and he's an hour and a half back on the turnpike. <laughs> That we had left him in Wanda, and uh, we had a few beers, you know, like while we were driving, and, and <laughs> Scotty didn't know what to do, so I called the coppers. I know they're drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good, man. So, I mean, I, so he had, he finally wanted to kind of even calling them, and, and they kept calling ahead, and they wanted to know how fast we were driving. Well, we were driving at 75, 80, and it's, Instead of going 60, 70, they figured where we were at. Well, we were ahead of every time they went to a checkpoint, we had already passed that because <laughs> we were rolling. 
so they <laughs> finally is... caught up with us, though, and got us turned around. We had to turn around and go back and pick them up. <laughs> so it took us, so instead of seven hours, it took about 11 hours to get the eggs down. <laughs> oh, man. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had, who was that, Sam, that we had on the show? Will, was it Willie McCoy? He got left at a rest stop, and he yeah, had to fly home or something. Yeah, Willie McCoy. <laughs> yes. I remember Kenny Talbert and them told us that story. He ended oh, up getting yeah. an airplane and flying home and ended up beating Kenny and them back home. <laughs> back to yeah. Texas. That's, that oh, was, man. Yeah, you that, imagine, you can't epic. do that stuff nowadays. You can't do that right uh, now. Oh, no, you just call the cell phone. Yeah, <laughs> I I'm kind of glad I the late '70s and '80s. I'm kind of glad I survived them. You know, yeah, there was a no lot. It was a different world back then. No shit. Yeah, that's, and, that's uh, awesome uh, to think about. Yeah, you couldn't get away with it nowadays. Nah. Yeah, different <laughs> world, man. I, uh, you know, you talk about your relationship with Parker, and you know, you had a really good you had a really good relationship with a lot of your rivals, Parker. Yeah. Chris Carr, Ricky yep. Graham, how was yep. how was how were those that that era? You know, the late '80s, early '90s, and mm. the competition was so fierce. I mean, the guys I mentioned. Then you throw in Moorhead, you throw in Ronnie Jones, you throw in oh, yeah. guys like you know sleeper picks, Rusty Rusty Rogers, Will Davis. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Who you was your them all, man? They were all all good racers, and you know nowadays it's the top. There's five guys, you know, that's going to win the race. And back then, you could be starting in the back row, and you still had a chance to win. Right. Just the way those things were back then. Well, but, there was uh, yeah. an article I came across in 1994, a panel of 30 motorcycle and ra- racing experts, whatever that means, <laughs> um, an American motorcyclist. They named you as the best third-track rider of all time. So I thought that was a, a pretty cool honor that I read in an article in 1994. Who does Springer Man think is the best of all time? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember much back then. <laughs> I had too much. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, it was a good time. I wouldn't have changed a thing. Uh, you know, my 11th and 12th grade in high school, uh, my teachers told me you don't have to do no work. You just have to show up for attendance. And and shit, I forgot how to open my damn locker. I forgot the combination. <laughs> and uh, I would go on a Wednesday night when I'd go to school. And on Wednesday around noon, one o'clock, I'd get out of school and I'd drive to Chicago to Santa Fe and go over there and win the race, make six hundred bucks, drive home, take a shower, go back to school. Man, yeah. and like six hundred bucks in those days. I mean, like. Yeah. Like, that's insane. I mean, for our yeah. younger listeners, like, how much was gas in a hotel and, like, right. you know, all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, right. gas was like a dollar or less, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and then, you know, I was, you know, six, seventeen, sixteen, seventeen years old and just got out of high school. And, you know, it was, I was wow. on a roll and enjoyed every bit of it. I was yeah, going to say, man, you, know, you started off strong. You, you won yeah. Rookie of the Year, three titles right away. Were you thinking, shit, this is easy? Like, I mean, did it ever cross your mind? You just came in and started kicking their asses right away, man. I mean, that's... Right off, yeah. I just, <laughs> I was just like I said, I was I was comfortable on the machine when I rode it, and, and I made it look easy, which it's not. As you know yourself, but it's, yeah. it was, it took me a while to learn how to run on a groove racetrack, you know, because being in, from Michigan, I was a cushion racetrack, you know, and you steer it with the rear wheel. 
and it took me a while, like when we went to Reading, Pennsylvania, and, and you know, in Hagerstown, and some of them other tracks out east, and to learn to, to go slower, to go faster. I always wanted to stick it up by the hay bales and go wide open, but it didn't work. Well, it definitely worked when you won your first national at Louisville, right? You know, I mean, uh, a lot of guys rode down on the bottom that night. And, uh, of course, Springer Man being Springer Man, you, you went to the top that night and showed them how it was done. The the one thing I want to, you know, ask you is, you know, you raced in so many different eras. I mean, you know, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. As far as, as, far as the racing was concerned, what was your favorite era? To, to, to race in? Oh, I would say in the mid-80s, you know, when there was Ricky Graham and Bubba Schobert and, you know, and Ronnie Jones and Lance Jones and, and you know, there was Rex Bochamp, Corky Keener, just uh, a lot of the West Coast guys, you know. Uh, there was Al Dana and Pomegranate and, and John Haley and these guys were on the Triumphs and the guys from the Midwest, you know, up in the northern up there, uh, that was super fast on them bikes, and yeah, it was that was a good time, you know. It was a lot of pressure then, you know. And Dick O'Brien was the factory uh, guy, you know, and Bill Warner's my mechanic, and him and I uh, related pretty good together. Sometimes it took him to draw it out of me for me to put it in words to what the motorcycle was doing, and then uh, we finally got on a good roll there. And, we made little changes and stuff. Was that better? No, that was worse. Go back the other way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I, it's hard to, to say this, but, you know, I felt bad saying when you were in your prime because, I mean, your whole career you were kind of in your prime, to be honest. You know, I mean, uh, you, you, you never quit, man. But, you know, back in the Dick O'Brien days, you know, when you, you were carrying the number one plate and all that, you know, uh, what was it like? I mean, you were a young dude, man. I mean, you were 19 years old and, and, and grand national champion, man. I mean, that's insane, right? I yeah, mean, in today's world, I mean, 19 years old. You know what I was doing when I was 19? I, I mean, you know what I mean? It's crazy. You were 19. Yeah. You're grand national number one. You're racing guys like Kenny Roberts and Gary Scott. I mean, insane yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yep, it was uh... – it was a good era then, you know, and Kenny Roberts ended up going road racing, and I stayed dirt tracking, you know, and which Harley never made a, a a good road race bike, and Yamaha, we had, he was on the, you know, the TZ stuff when he went overseas, and and he was the first guy to learn to drag his knee around the track, and and uh, yeah, he he was a lot of fun. He was a he was kind of a different person he was kind of kept to himself and i was more that i was more talkative and i could talk to anybody you know and all the fans would come up and i guess that's why maybe somewhat i was more of a fan favorite that yeah. i could talk to him and instead of just go hide in your motorhome <laughs> i was hang out there and talk to him i think that's probably why you and nixon got along so well jay is because you guys both kind of have a similar personality you know you guys like to have fun you know you yep. did that the road racing deal with with gary what's uh what can you describe gary nixon like for the fans that uh, never really nixon. been around gary they broke the mold when they made him i tell you that he stayed here in my house for maybe five seven ten years when he worked for the tcr team for tom cummings with benson ford and they had a great deal going there and nixon he'd stay here at my house 
And my wife, she yelled at him so many times. It's like, <laughs> Nixon, if you was a kid, we could discipline you. I said, but what are we going to do with you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, hey, talking about discipline, how I, there, there's a story, man, way back when, you know, and uh, I'm sure, you know, it's fresh in your mind, or may, I, I think it would be. Uh, you know, you, you got a little disciplinary action from, uh, I think it may have been Dick O'Brien, who was the, the, the race manager for the, for the, you know, the Harley factory team. Uh, uh, you, you were, yeah, I think you know where I'm going with this one. Yeah, but, uh, I know the story. <laughs> yeah, why yeah. don't you? I, was, I wasn't this? sure. I think we might have been in San Jose, Sacramento. <laughs> Drinking some I'm beers. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> and we were having some beers. Me and my buddy Randy. My buddy Randy drove truck for me. Him and I went to high school together, and he was my truck driver. He'd drive me across country everywhere. <laughs> Anyhow, him and I were sitting having a couple beers the night before the race. Dick O'Brien said, well, that's a that's a $500 fine having a beer the night before the race. I said, well, make it 1000 because I'm going to have another one. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and I won the race the next day. And so he never did find me. It was just a scene. And next thing you know, it was in magazines and books and different things. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, you know, legendary stories right there. Springer, man. You know, we talked about, you know, before we came on the show, me and Corey were talking about, you know, you can talk about all kinds of racers. I mean, you know, around the world. I mean, you know, Dale Earnhardt, Jared Meese. You can talk about Valentino Rossi. There's people that like them and there's people that don't like them. But me and Corey talked about, we don't think there's anybody that doesn't like the Springer man. Yeah, there's probably, <laughs> there's a few out there, but uh, we don't know about them. And so everybody's different. Everybody's, you know, everybody's got their own guy. And I did, did what I did. And, you know, uh, I truthfully, I've been watching all the MotoGPs this year. I sitting on the damn edge of my seat with goosebumps watching these guys, freaking backing and in there at 150 and sideways on the brakes, rear wheels off the ground. I'm sitting, I got chicken skin on my arms watching them, and I enjoyed watching that more than the dirt track stuff, you know. And then that's where I made a living racing dirt track stuff. But I just been, I always enjoyed riding a road racer. And, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you did pretty me good on the team. Yeah, you did pretty good on a road racer. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, you rode all kinds of stuff. You know, when you're talking Battle of the Twins, you rode an XR750. You know, on on, on pavement stuff. You rode two strokes. You rode this. You rode super bikes. I think you're. I think you got a a top five at the Daytona 200 one year. I mean, you know, you're you're quite a, an accomplished road racer too. Which, yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of people may not know about that. I mean, uh, yeah, I think I finished seventh one time and maybe 10th or 12th on, uh, I work for Dave Knapp every now and then. And his son, Taylor Knapp, you okay. know, uh, is a yeah, very, 24. really good road racer. Yep. And, uh, I wrote an FZ Yamaha one time for Dave Knapp and, and he lives right here in the Pier area. I work for him every now and then. Matter of fact, I, I haven't been working in, in, in a few months, and he called me a couple of days ago and wanted me to come in, help detail the car that he sold to a lady. And I went in there today, put three, four hours in. He's 
just something to, you know, keep me doing something. But anyhow, the road race stuff, yeah, I enjoyed riding them. And, and FZ, heck, I can't even remember when FZ was. Then there was FZR and riding the road races. I always enjoyed them. And it took me a long time to learn how to drag my knee. I always come in, my toes were bleeding because my dragging my feet. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's a weird concept. When I went road racing too, I remember it took me like a while to get it, and then when I got it, I was like, "Hell yeah, baby, I got it!" Like I was so excited, right. just like a yeah. cool thing. Um, yeah. It, Jay, if you could go back and race any racetrack that you know, you could pick any track on an XR750. What racetrack would you go back and race? The most fun Ooh. track you've been to. Ooh, ooh, that's a good question, Corey. That's a good yeah. question. I don't know. I would say, I would say Indianapolis. Just the atmosphere of going to Indianapolis, uh, you know, because of the Indy cars and and when, and then racing out at buck thirty, buck forty down the back straightaway. I'm looking at the damn Ferris wheel as I'm going down the back straightaway. <laughs> when the state fair was going on, I wasn't paying attention where I was going. And and I hung out with Chuck Pongren and El Dana and them guys and they knew the guys right on Gasoline Alley that Brian Smith rides for now. Yeah. And we hung out with his dad. And because they were Chuck Pondren raced, and he rode out of Newport Beach with Dan Gurney. Okay. So we worked on our motorcycles out of Dan Gurney's shop, and then when we were in the Midwest, there we stayed at Indianapolis and worked uh, uh, right there on Gasoline Alley with the, the guys that built Indy cars and stuff, and, and worked on our equipment there and refreshed everything to get ready to go to the next one. Man, that is cool stuff, man. That is so cool. Yeah, Indy is. Uh, I, I got to say personally, I mean, Indy's one of my favorite miles. You know, I when I think of Indy, I kind of think of it as you know one of, like Indian practice. You know, I think uh, it's been said on this show before, oh, yeah, but yeah. Indian practice is pretty special, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's like you you can just go around there wide open, not even have to lift. Yeah, you know, the first time, first few laps, and yeah, it's you know, good, if it man. was prepared good, the track was always nice, you know. And I guess the last time they ran there, it was pretty rough. Yeah, you know, but uh, yeah, it was always a super fun track to ride, you know. And then I enjoyed going to the West Coast, you know, in San Jose and Sacramento. Uh, you know, Springfield was always good in the spring, and then in the fall you'd go there, and it was from being going through the summer it would be more drier and they could never put enough water on it you know it would always get to you one blue line around the bottom but in the spring it was tacky from top to bottom and that's when them guys was like <laughs> they would let, let off and i just would go wide open right around the outside of them <laughs> you know i mean i i've never you know i've seen some sketchy situations you know and uh uh, man, I tell you what, there's nobody like the Springer man that can put it on the outside. And, and, and you know, I mean, there's one thing when, when, you know, I mean, sometimes certain racetracks, you, you can run up there and you can put it on the outside or you can go above the groove. But there's sometimes that's a sketchy situation. 
And uh, there's nobody like the Sprinter <laughs> Man that can put it up there. I know. I get it around them. I get it. around now. I'm trying to get back in line, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> fall back in line. You guys got to back out and let me in. Oh, man, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, I'm glad I've got to witness that a little bit in my lifetime. I mean, that's some cool stuff, man. I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, can totally agree with me on that one. Uh, What year did you retire, Jay, from the pro stuff? Like, what was your last, was it 2006? Uh, 2006 is when I broke my back, and I did come back and ride Springfield one more time. And, and, uh... Cause I don't think I ever got the race with you. My uh, yeah. my rookie year was 2008, and I don't remember ever ever you know, getting the race. I went back in 2007, and it, it broke the very first lap of the main event. Okay. Where was like, that at, Jay? That was at Springfield. Okay. All right. Yep, that was my last one for Grand National Race. Yep. Well, we appreciate Sound like you got the hound the dogs out. Yeah, or Fuley, yes. We had one of ours. Had, we had to put him down, Diesel. We had Diesel put down maybe four weeks back, and that was our number one son, me and my wife. We don't have no kids, but she always wanted to have a boy, so we got Diesel, Diesel. come home with a puppy. I hear that, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but now Fuley, now we got fuel. So we got Diesel and fuel. <laughs> and so Fuley, he's just up there. Maybe somebody knocking at the door. He goes off. <laughs> well, you know, you, what kind of dogs do you have? I mean, I know what kind of dogs you have. Uh, yeah. I have the same kind of dog. Carter here, the producer of the show, has the same kind of dog. Why don't you tell, us, tell our fans what kind of dogs you're a fan of? We got little Dotsons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Diesel and Fuley. And we got deep Fuley left, so. Anyhow, I keep calling him Diesel every now and then. <laughs> and now, he, but anyhow, yep, we've uh, had a great time with him. When I was a kid, we always had Labradors for hunting. And now, after I had the little wiener dog, man, I tell you what, he's a little killing machine, man. He loves it. <laughs> uh, he got the taste of blood when he was young, and and and, and hey, they're he bad was, little dudes. I know. He's a tough little dude. Let me tell you. Yeah, I have. I got one more question for you, and then we'll do our last segment. We do, but you know, we talked about your 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 relationship with all the guys. You know how you got along with most of the riders. Was there any rider out there who you didn't get along with? Was there anybody that you Mm -hmm. just didn't like racing with? No, I never. I could always race with anyone, but it was just I don't know. Gary Scott, you know, we always had a little friction, you know, because I took his position away when he was number one. He wanted a million dollars from the factory and because he was number one, and and they told him no. So he went on his own, you know. And so I guess there was always some kind of little friction there. But other than that, I got along with everybody. I was going to yeah. say, it didn't seem to bother you too much. <laughs> you sort of just no. did your thing, man. No. You know, and then I grew up racing with Ted Booty and and Randy Goss and these guys uh, right here in the hometown, you know, Auto City Speedway. And, and there's Carol and Vassar, half miles and different things that we had went to over the years. And, and we lost yeah. Ted at Ascot, and, and I've seen quite a few of them go in my career. You know, it's a pretty risky sport that we're, we're all in, and and uh, I'm glad I survived them. And I got metal in me, <laughs> broken bones and stuff. And same, 
I landed on my head most of the time. That's why I tell everybody I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, you know, uh, man, Michigan, man, what a what a <laughs> what a place, man. Between Auto City, Northville Downs, I mean, uh, you know, all the legends that have come from there. I mean, you know, and I think if. Uh, you know, I think if there is a, if Michigan was a Christmas tree when it came to racing, I think there'd be two spots at the top, and that'd be between you, Markle, and you. You know, uh, but there's a lot of guys that belong on that tree for sure. Uh, yeah, for you know, but uh, we we really appreciate you taking the time, Jay, to to come well, cool. on and talk to I us. Enjoyed we have, it, man. And we have and, one more segment, though. We have one. We're, we're not letting you okay. go this I'm, easy. I won't get in a tank slapper yet. Come on. Okay. All right. Yeah. Don't don't, don't get twisted <laughs> yet, man. Uh, hey, you know what? Can I ask you one question just off the, you know, since I'm sitting here drinking a, a big tall Coors Light National, uh, what are you drinking? I, uh, I had dinner and after I have dinner, I'm usually done. Oh, man. But, uh, about three, four, I try to wait till like four o'clock and I have me a couple, you know, and then the wife makes us always, we always sit down, we fend for ourselves for breakfast and breakfast and lunch, and then we always sit down and have a nice dinner together. Nice. So uh, she made us a nice spaghetti dinner tonight with some garlic bread and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I had me a couple, I, I've been on the Miller High Life, so I've been on the High Life for a while. But I switched them down to the back to the Bud Lights. I'm gonna get you on the Coors Light program for I don't before think so. for too long. Yeah, I, I'm convinced, I man. So. I gotta do it. Gotta I'd rather do. drink glass water. You know, the way, well, you're looking at it wrong, Jay. You know, the way you look at a Coors Light is it's like drinking water, right? That which yeah. is good for you, but it has beer in it. Right. Well, you drinking water, that shit will rust your pipes. it's called the higher low line it's sort of a this or that type deal we'll ask you one or the other then you can pick one and give us a little explanation if you want but you um you're in a time machine and you're going back in time are you picking your first win at louisville to relive or your last win at springfield what would you rather go back in time and do again I would say my first one, uh, uh, the year before when I was a junior and I couldn't race, I was there, and I watched Corky Keener high-low him uh, around the outside and won the national, and 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 then the following year I was a first-year expert, and I went out there and I did the same thing and just smoked them and. Those guys are like this guy. This kid's gonna be somebody. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, all right yeah. Jay. That, that, I got one. I, I got a question for you here. Um, this, this is just you know talk about tank slapping, right? And this is totally off the cuff. You have to be roommates for one year with someone. Uh, who are you picking? Dick O'Brien or Willie G. Davidson? Oh no, I'd, I'd probably say Dick O'Brien because back then me and him we used to sit in the factory and smoke cigarettes together. <laughs> you know, back then now you couldn't smoke a cigarette near the plant. You know, but we had set up in his office, smoke cigarettes together, talk different races and stuff. Uh, he would get in his little cool little locker he have up there and get me a, a Harley number one 
uh, Zippo lighter, and and uh, we sat there and talked stories, and and uh, yeah, me and him was. We just related pretty good together. Like I said, then we said smoke cigarettes together. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's great. (laughs) Who would throw a crazier party, Kevin Atherton or Garth Brow? Wow, I don't know. The double-eyed Gonzo, he's out of control. And and Kevin, I don't know. That's a pretty damn good one. Uh, Either one of them got enough money to put on a damn party. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a Sam, that was Sammy. Yeah. Sammy came up with that one. That that is. I read that one. I was like, ooh, that is a good. One. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. Yeah, I got a story. Gonzo, we he was into Ted Nugent, and he is up on the roof of his van playing his air guitar, and he jumped off in his truck and fell down and broke his damn leg. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got Ted Nugent going wide open on his fan on the radio. <laughs> yeah, he, Gonzo's still the same, man. I see him in Florida yeah. all the time, and it's just like yeah. after the races, first guy with a beer in his hand and just all yeah. night. Like, bro, are you tired? Yeah. Like, they don't call him Gonzo for nothing. You know what I mean? That's, right. <laughs> That's how he got. We hand that was his handle. Gonzo. He was listening to Ted Nugent. That's where we got his Gonzo. Oh, that is great, man. All right, all right. Here's another. <laughs> all right, you guys are wearing me out, man. I have to start drinking again, so I catch up with you guys. Now, now you're in the mood. That's what I'm talking We're almost about. Almost done. We got a couple more. A couple more. We got a couple more. Last all right, lap. all right, Last all right. Lap. Here we go. We're gonna go starting procedures because you know your career kind of spanned both of these. So, would you rather have flag starts or uh, you know starting lights? I always enjoyed the flag start. You know, there was it was cool back then. Man, there was bouncing Bob, and and he'd do cartwheels down the front straightaway as you're coming at him at a buck fifty. You know, uh, uh, yeah. You know, it was just you know there were the flags. That's the way. That's the way races starts. You know, yeah. Starts and finish. You know. That's really cool, man. Bouncing Bob. I I know all our Pacific Northwest listeners are gonna love that answer for sure, man. Because that's where he was from, man. Bouncing Bob. Yeah. For those for those of you that don't know, I'm just gonna interject here for a minute. Bouncing Bob used to, you know, flag a lot of West Coast races, and this guy was uh, pretty agile, and he would run down the straightway at you and do backflips and cartwheels. And so, what's the and biggest go gear you've ever out. got, Jay? Uh, I think I got a 17 point one time in Kansas. What? 17 yep. point? Yeah. You, you have a picture to back this up or what? Well, yeah. I got it mounted on the wall. Oh, man. 17. Yeah. And then you got to get, how do you get them big ones? You got to get up to four in the morning, sit there all day, and about three minutes before it gets dark, he comes in. Whew. Man, a lot of pay- I- I'd be jumping the start on that every time. Uh, <laughs> I don't have that much patience. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get a picture yeah. of that, Jay. Uh, my nephew Chaz, that used to race, my brother Chuck's son, he ended up beating me out, and he took all the damn money again two years in a row because we always kitty up who gets the biggest buck, and he ended up winning again on it. So 
Congratulations to him. But there was 10 of us hunting this year, and we got five bucks out of 10 of us, and we were up there for 11 days, so we were in quarantine. So I guess none of us had the COVID. (laughs) So we were in quarantine 11 days up there together, and went bonfire every night out in the woods, uh, deep-fried turkeys, spiral-cut hams. Our deer can't gain weight when you go. (laughs) Yep. But we're hunters. We go every morning, every night. You know, and we went up a couple of days ahead of time, and then we don't hunt from daylight to dark. At lunchtime, you know, we come in. Uh, I have, I have, uh, I don't know, maybe about five, five, seven full mounts, you know, heads, shoulder mounts and stuff. And lately I've been uh, making European mounts. What's and a European mount? It's just right down to the skull of the bone. Oh, okay. And and uh, and then you put peroxide baking soda on it, and it makes the bone like pearl white looking, and then the horns. Uh, I've been doing that because it's like how many you know how many you want on the wall, you know. <laughs> so now I got a picture I could send you of mine my workbench. There I got fifty of them. <laughs> we're we're gonna hold you to the point on that one because uh, all our listeners they're gonna want to see that. I like to go shooting, and matter of fact, tomorrow is muzzle-loading season, and me and my brother Chuck are going out tomorrow morning. That's cool. And uh, we're going to go try to get one. And That's why we never see at the track. You're always hunting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I enjoyed going down to Daytona, though, this uh, this fall. It was a lot of fun. I've seen a lot of people I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, yeah. That was good. Yeah, and, hopefully uh, we'll see you some more next year. It was, it's always good to have you in the pits. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it, and hopefully this COVID thing gets straightened out. And they want to go. Oh, you guys went up there about Michigan, man. It's bad. I said we're so bad up here. We got COVID twenty. <laughs> a little better than nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> Tough as nails, and we're so bad that we make medicine sick. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. The gunslinger himself, James okay. Springsteen. Hey, man. guys, man, it's been great. Uh, keep in touch. Uh, and I'll send you a picture of my pile of horns and my, I think it's a 17-pointer. It could be bigger. Who knows? You know what? A picture or it didn't happen. We're throwing it on social media. Okay. You okay. know, all, all, most of our listeners are, are, are you. You know, a lot of them are younger generations, so they're going to want to see this, you know. So okay. we're going to hold you to that. All right. I, I, it might not show up very good. I got a flip phone. Get Judy to send it. <laughs> yeah, I know. it. That's what I was going to say, but I had, to, I had to throw that in there. Parker teases the shit out of me all the time. He goes, Springer, you found that in a museum, didn't you? <laughs> oh, I love it. It was oh, good chat, Jay. Thanks for coming good on. Stuff, man. Okay, you guys, hang tough. Uh, hope to see you guys this uh, next summer sometime. Absolutely. Hope everything gets straightened out here in the world and and uh, everybody can be back to normal again. Sounds Absolutely. good. Thanks, Jay. It, Jay. Thanks again. Okay, good talking to you guys. It was great. Yes, yeah. sir. Good times. Wow, Jay Springsteen, man. How cool was that? I'm telling you what, that was pretty cool to talk to Jay Springsteen. He'd rather talk about hunting than than <laughs> racing. I was going to ask him one more 
this or that <laughs> racing question, I should have asked them whitetail or, or mule deer. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, think. yeah. Doe or buck. <laughs> you would have yeah, lit up, yeah. man. Exactly. You start talking Cabela's talk on them. You would have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, what do you ask that? I didn't know what to ask him. There was so much I wanted to talk to him about, but it's, it's, uh, he's so modest. He's, he kind of reminds me of my grandpa Fitz Charles, man. The guy is in the sprint car hall of fame. He's won hundreds and hundreds of races, but he never wants to talk about racing. I don't know if I've ever talked about sprint car racing with my grandpa. Like he'd rather talk about, yeah, dude, I don't know. Like, I mean, I was young when he retired, so I don't, I don't remember much. And he never wants to talk about it. He just, he's just same way. He doesn't really like to brag or talk about his career or anything like that. He wants to go hunting and he wants to go fishing and have a beer. He doesn't give a shit about what races he's won. He's probably forgot half of them. That's why. Yeah, 389 nationals the guy's been in, you know. So, yeah, you know, uh, it, it, it's insane, you know. Uh, yeah. What, what what can you say, man? Jay, Jay Springsteen. I mean, a legend of legends. Literally, a legend of legends. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, talent-wise, we we talk about it on the show. We talk about the, you know, the all-time Mount Rushmore of talented riders. And we talk about the Kenny Roberts. We talk about the Ricky Grams, the Chris Cars, the Nikki Hayden. But Jay Springsteen had as much talent or more than anybody. You know, Dick O'Brien... We've talked about him on the show, but he was quoted as saying Springer's the most talented guy he's ever seen, you know, and, and it's no secret. Jay had, you know, Jay's had some health issues in his, during his racing career and some stomach, some weird stomach stuff that he was dealing with that kind of kept, kept him, you know, away from the top of his game as long as he should have been. But for, to, you know, to win races, what was it? He's 17 or 18 when he won his first national and then he won a national at age forty fucking three. Like that's just <laughs> yeah. insane. So. Insane. Like it, it, it's insane. I, I I mean, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure and when I say pretty sure, this is uh I'm pretty sure he's had the longest career in uh you know, flat track history, professional career. Uh I'd have to double check it, but I'm think pretty for, damn uh, sure. Moorhead, Springer, and Poovy would be my top three for longevity. Yeah. These guys raced a really long time. At yeah. The, Forever. At the yeah. I okay. mean, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Forever. You know what I mean? I mean, that that pretty much covers the the bulk of the series. I mean, it started in, you know, I mean, we had a first grand national champion in 1954. So, like, I mean, those guys raced a long time you know when you talk about from the 70s to the 2000s a long time right yeah and and you put a note in here sammy he won pomona in 1995 and then from 1995 to 2003 he was a top 10 rider every single year top 10 you know in the points as an older dude yeah yeah i mean 2003 he would have been 46 he's a top 10 rider at age 46 and it's not like Jay goes out and he runs five miles every morning or he mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. doing push-ups on the weekends, mm-hmm. dude. He's nope. just 
raw talent and yeah cracking cold ones and lining up the big bucks in uh, eyesight that's what he's doing smoking cigs just yeah just checking titties out the whole deal remember ben bostrom (laughs) yeah that era back then uh i was trying to get we i did a, a woods race over the weekend a hair scramble race and i was trying to get noah chambers to uh, light up a cigarette on the. He was. He rode. He rode. He rode double A. And I was trying to get him to light up a cigarette on the starting line of the hair scramble. And like you start in rows, and he was in the very front row inside. And just can you imagine lighting a cig and just popping on the starting line? And he, he would have done it if I could have found him a cigarette and a lighter. He would have did it. Like oh, it that's awesome, man. I always wanted Shayna to kind of throw in, like when she was like a younger pro, to bring up a, like a wad of chew. And as we're walking out for Rido intros. Just Shayna, little Shayna, just throw in like a dip of chew. Can you imagine how? Yeah, that'd be awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be great, man. That reminds me of like Frederick Maryland, which is, you know, the Barbara Fritchie classic, one of the oldest running uh, race in the country. Uh, Anyway, I was, I was at Frederick one year and uh, remember Al Wilcox, you know, the star. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Great guy. yeah, great guy, and and I believe he was factory Harley rider like way back in the day, uh, from Trenton, New Jersey. Anyway, um, you know I'm I'm over there and um, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm I'm, I'm like screwing on some handguards because you know Frederick's a you know pea gravel man, right? So I'm screwing on some handguards, and uh, Al Wilcox has got this eight by ten of him at Frederick from like back in the day when uh, he was national number forty nine. And uh, the guy's got no gloves on and no hand guards. And I felt like an idiot. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah, dude, you guys are so hardcore, you know, but uh, you talk about cigarettes and this and that and everything, everything else. You know, there I am screwing on hand guards. And there's a picture of Al Wilcox at Frederick with no hand guards and no gloves. Yeah, yeah. Al, Al Wilcox is a that guy's legendary. We have a photo from the Barber Fitchy Classic actually of Shayna, my dad, my grandpa, and Al Wilcox when Shayna won Frederick in 2000. I don't even know when that was, but yeah, yeah. It's it's cool you mentioned Al. I haven't heard that name in a while. So, what what else can we talk about? I mean, we got another guest on the show tonight. We have a good one. Yeah, yeah. This is a good show. This is a good show. I don't know if you guys remember, there was a, a Flat Track Facebook group. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it or not, but it was called Flat Track Live. Uh, I'm just kidding. Everybody knows what Flat Track Live is. And, and the woman behind that whole deal, Miriam Deitcher, we're going to bring her on. Because not only, we haven't heard from her in a while, and for me being a social media guy in marketing, she was almost a pioneer for marketing she really helped grow the sport to insane levels with you know valentino rossi followed her page mark marquez you know she did exactly we want to bring her on what she did is is it just incredible looking back on it and before we even had facebook sammy 
She used to type. I don't know if you remember this, Sammy, but back in the day. 1-800-FlatTrack.com, baby. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. What what was it? Maybe you can tell the listeners what what she did back then. Well, yeah, back in the, you know, early interweb days, man, you know, before, you know, uh, we had Facebook, MySpace, you know, all this stuff, and the internet was something something new, Uh, you know, AMA Pro Racing at the time uh, had – 1-800-FLATTRACK.COM and uh, they would post race results. You know, let's go back a little bit. You know, before internet, you had to wait a whole damn week for Cycle News to come out to know who won a race, right? I mean, it was crazy. I mean, you know, people used to ride their bicycles to the local motorcycle shop to, like, buy Cycle News to know who did what or to see a picture of somebody's leathers. And then, you know, let's go to the internet stage of life and here comes miriam and uh you know here she is man just you know uh but she has some ties with progressive uh progressive became a uh, title sponsor of the series and uh, she ended up at a race and fell in love with the sport and did a lot of things from the goodness of her heart and so many race results and cool memories of historical moments I remember myself sitting at a computer watching her words as she typed them on 1-800-FLATTRACK.COM because she covered all the races. Basically, as they were racing, she would type, like, Parker had the lead, Chris Carr in second, Kevin Barnes is in third. Oh, here comes Ronnie Jones up the fifth. She would kind of do a play-by-play every 30 seconds and sort of type type that and kind of follow the race. You'd follow the race through – the website kind of, um, yeah, it was, it was really cool what she did. And I was a young, I was a young racer and I used to turn, tune in and that's how I got my, my, you know, my, my play by plays was through Miriam. And I actually remember I was probably, man, eight years old, you know, I was young. I remember sending her a thank you email as like a young CTEX. And oh, that's cool. 20 years later, she found it. She found the email I sent her and she showed me it, you know, she did some stuff for road racer X when that was a thing. And, uh, yeah, she's, she's done a lot. So I'm actually pretty excited. She's quite the, quite the character, man. She's pretty funny. I'm excited to, she lives in Australia now, so I'm excited to chat with her. You, you remember what she used to call it when, uh, somebody would make the main event. You remember what she called it, Corey, the big dance. <laughs> yes. Hey, so so-and-so, like somebody new made it in there. Be like, oh man, so-and-so made the big dance. It was like, you know, it was a, just a, a term she coined a little bit. So I'm excited to talk to her. Let's, let's, uh, let's see what she's up to now. Yeah, Carter, let's give Miriam a call. Hello? Miriam! What's up? Awesome. Um, hey, so we were talking, me and Corey uh, were talking before you came on. Let me back it up. Miriam, uh, tell us a little yeah. bit about you and your background and how you came into Flat Track. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's actually a, a long story that goes way back. I was in charge of Progressive Insurance's motorcycle insurance marketing back in 1999. And we were trying to reach motorcyclists who were hard to find in just traditional media. There were magazines, um, but but television, you know, you couldn't reach them through television or, or radio. They just couldn't reach a niche audience easily. Um, and, and 
motorcycle racing, it became apparent, um, was a great way for, for us to reach motorcyclists. And so when, when I came on board, I was hired by Progressive in 1999. Um, and Progressive had tinkered in motorcycle racing sponsorships um, with some race events, some superbike race events they sponsored, as well as, I think, a support class, the Formula Stream and the Superbike Series. Um, but when I came on board, we started looking at flat track. And in 1999, um, we were talking to the folks in Pickerington, Ohio, with AMA Pro Racing about potentially becoming the title sponsor of the Flat Track Series. And I flew out to Del Mar, and it was my very first flat track race ever. I had never um, heard of wow. any of these guys. I didn't know anything about the sport. And, and so there I am out there in, in, in Del Mar, California, at the mile. And the AMA Pro Racing guys are telling me, yeah, that's um, Scott Parker. He's the old guy. And, you know, there's Nikki Hayden. He's the kid. He's trying to beat him and win, get his first mile win, you know, and all that. And um, I literally had never heard of any of these guys. I knew nothing about motorcycle racing. And there I was, um, 1999 Del Mar at a race. Good one and, and to go to. It was an epic race. Nikki almost won that. But I didn't yeah, appreciate it. Did. I didn't appreciate any of it. Like I, I just didn't know. And and so now I look back and I'm like, holy shit, I did have a pretty damn good first race, um, you know, in the flat track world. Um, so after that, we decided to sponsor um, the, the series in 2000. And I started going to races um, just as the person in charge of the sponsorship. And I, I was like, wow, this is really cool. I, I liked it. And it was super different from my regular day job in an office, you know, in, in Ohio. And and the people were different too. I, I'd been around, I, I guess I'll, I'll say college educated, you know, just, just a different audience. I don't know how to say, it. I'm not, not being disrespectful at all. It's just a different group. And, and I'd never been around, you know, the flat track kind of people in my life. Um, and so I was like, oh, they're fun. You know, and this racing's cool. And so I started going to the races, um, managing the sponsorship. And, and, and then I was like, wow, since I'm here, I might as well do something. I'm not, you know, me, I'm not the kind of person to just sit around, you know, watching. And so, so instantly I said to AM, the, um, AMA Pro Racing, I said, I want to start reporting from the races. I said, I can write. I, 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 you know, by then had learned all the racers and I knew the lingo and all of that. I can type, you know, I could type fast. And yeah, I, you could. I, and also uh, what's really important, because I started doing live race reporting back, back in the day. Um, it was on AMA Pro Racing's website and it was pretty state of the art, even though now it seems so antiquated, um, but, but I was literally typing and they're lined up and they're off and, and Will Davis gets the whole shot and he's coming around turn one. Like, like as JB Norris or, or the announcer was announcing, I would just type what they were saying. And then I would also look and kind of start doing my own play by play as well. But, but it, it was, it was fun. And it was, it was through phone lines. So we, we had like phone lines. If you went to the Hagerstown half mile, there was like a line running from the office upstairs all the way down to where I was um, standing because it was before Wi-Fi. And the other thing is I had to type in HTML code. Like if I wanted it bold, I had to like type whatever the HTML code was for bold. Wow. Or not. 
So I'm tired. And, and there were times like we'd be at a short track. I remember in um, what Mississippi, it's like the smallest little, I mean, so tiny, right? Like, I don't even know what lap times are, but in the seconds, I remember I was sitting up top on this perch um, inside this facility. And I think there was some kind of bird up there. Like it was super weird and, and creepy, but there I'm having to type like, I don't, again, I don't know the lap times, but 10 second lap times. And I'm doing play by play of what's happening. And then I started making an interactive. I'm like, Hey, email me questions or, you know, whatever. And and then I'd post people's, you know, Hey, you know, so-and-so in Topeka, Kansas is, um, is watching, you know, shout out, whatever. I don't know. It, it started out just as a little thing and it, it really kind of, kind of grew and it became the way that people who used to wait for cycle news to come out every week you know they could actually be at the races and that was my goal from day one I wanted to bring the races to the people because I knew the people couldn't all go to the races you're bringing back my childhood right now like Mm. all that stuff that you mentioned that was I was a young c-tex back at home and we'd always tune in and I remember like you could kind of give good lucks to uh the different riders and stuff and you would you would type that into the uh the interface or whatever and then uh moving along a little bit you started doing articles for road racer x and that's kind of i was i talked to the boys before we called you and i remember i sent you an email uh i don't know just like saying i, I appreciated your articles and then i remember like a couple years back you found that old email and and you showed it to me i just thought that was that was a really cool time too. So yeah, talk about that a little bit, how you transitioned from the play-by-play where you're typing to doing articles in Road Racer X and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, and um, it's been such a, a trip, but like, I forget about all these um, moments and, and times in my flat track reporting history. Um, so I hadn't really thought about the, the Road Racer X times, but um, I was reporting for AMA and, and I think we even progressive stopped sponsoring the series. And I continued to go to the races because these were my friends and it was my passion. So I would work all week um, in my day job and then hop on a, a plane, you know, or drive, but a lot of times a plane Friday, you know, maybe I'd sneak out of work a little bit early. <laughs> um, and then, um, I'd, I'd end up taking like the red eye home. Um, if it was a West coast race on Sunday night and, and, you know, be back at work Monday morning after flying all night. And I, I was a single mom too. Like, I don't know. I don't know how the hell I did all that <laughs> to be honest, but I was in, I was, um, in Knoxville, Tennessee, at the Honda Who one year, and um, I was there because Progressive. Um, we had a relationship with the with Honda. We were the official insurance of, of Honda or whatever, and um, I had planned to be there for a couple of days just to represent us with with our you know our, our big partner. Um, but I, I wasn't really sure what there was to do, and I didn't know any many people, so I was kind of like, oh gosh, this is going to be a long couple of days. Um, but then one night they had a dinner, like one of the first nights, and I sat next to um, Davy Coombs from Racer X. I met Davy Coombs, um, and uh, we went out drinking one night. And I said, hey, I want to write for your magazine. I can write and I know flat track and I can do it. Like, just give me a chance. And he, he and, you know, we were both drunk. Yeah, sure. Well, after that, he followed up with me and he said, I, I want you to do a story at the Peoria TT. Um, I forget what year this even was. I'd have to look back. But 2005, yeah. 2005. I'm I thinking that. Of, yeah. The Henry okay. Wiles story, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. So I um, go to the PRTT and, and he gave me, he told me the kind of story I was supposed to write. Cause I've never written a big spread for a magazine. And it was every minute of the day, just follow what he's doing. Do like a minute by minute by minute play by play of what, Henry Wiles. Yeah. He had won the previous year. He was not yet the Prince of Peoria. I could have picked anyone, but I'm like, Henry, I'm going to go with Henry. Um, good pick. And, and so anyhow, I followed him around all day. Um, and I, they also sent down um, a photographer from Chicago who took photos and that turned in this huge spread, um, in road in race road racer apps it was yeah and it was just mad it was so cool I, I was like oh I wrote that I mean I'm still so proud of it I think that's the just the best piece I've ever written and I've written a lot since then but a, a cool tangent to that story is um that that magazine with my article in it it was on sale around the world and it was on sale at a a bike shop near Warhope New South Wales and a racer, a young racer named Mick Kirkness read my article. And that is what made him want to come and race in America is what he told me. Wow. So like, I don't like everything is interconnected is what I've realized in the motorcycle racing world. Um, it, it really is like everything just loops back and it's weird, but um, anyhow, so, so that me writing that article inspired Mick to race in Australia um, and then, and then, um, so I wrote for Road Racerettes for, for several years and really enjoyed that. I, um, Chris Johnham, I, I wrote for, and he's an amazing writer and editor and he taught me so much. So to this day, I like, um, would say that, um, he's my, my mentor, my writing mentor. Um, and I have a lot of respect for him. Um, and then fast forward to 2011, Daytona, and I decided to launch Flat Track Live. I had taken a couple of years off from going to the races and just focused on being a normal person um, and, and decided I was ready to go back. And so uh, March of 2011, I launched Flat Track Live and decided it was going to be social media based. And it was, um, you know, it was on Facebook initially. And I, I started out again doing lap by lap, play by play. Um, like I did back in the day, and then I, I shifted to shooting video, which I would instantly upload and, and edit just clips, not like whole races. Um, and, and it was awesome. And it, it, it grew like as a hobby, something I did nights, weekends, cause I had a day job and was, um, a single mom. It was definitely a hobby, but it grew into this massive, um, media empire, um, without, you know, I, I didn't expect that to happen, but but it was pretty cool because I, I, it gave me a chance to really have a voice in the industry and um, to to take my um, skills, which are writing and um, video editing now, I guess, and, and filming, and, and kind of use those to bring rice into the people. So it's this. It was the same mission as. Um, back in 2000, when I started covering the races, I wanted to bring racing to the people. Um, flat, flat, flat Track Live just did it in a way more modern way. Wow. You, you, you know, Miriam, I mean, you covered a lot of ground with everything you said, you know, everything from back to the early progressive days to, you know, changing the way that uh, we all got our information, you know, I mean, at one point, you know, it was week to week information through, uh, cycle news to, uh, the one 800 flattrack.com, you know, live race reports, man. I, I remember sitting at computer screens, many Saturday nights, looking at your, 
you know, your live lap by lap race reports and, you know, you coined the term making it to the big dance, you know. And, I'm not uh, sure I stole that from JB or one of them. Or, oh, or man, no, that's still. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the king of phrases. They're so I good. I think Scotty Dubler still uses that uh, from time yeah. to time to this day and you, you you know i mean you're you're such an integral part of uh our sports history because you know you really brought um a, you know the racing to the people and um i just want you to know that you're you're really you know appreciated uh by so many people and and you know we talked about this a little bit earlier on the show. You know, people are loved and hated for whatever reasons, you know, just like you can talk about any celebrity, right? And yep. there's somebody that likes them and there's somebody that doesn't. But, you know, a lot of people didn't understand you and, and your love for the sport and, and, and your heart for it, you know, just because you were, uh, you, know, you know, a lot of people didn't know how to approach you. But um, no matter what, you know, your love for the sport um, shine through more than anything. And I just want to tell you from myself, um, you know, personally, you, you know, you mean so much uh, to the history of the sport. You, you, you play a special role in the history of the sport. Oh, thank you. No, I appreciate that. And and I um I never set out to be popular, but at the same time, I I. I never set out to be controversial either. I'm just me. Um, I, I never had an agenda. Like people, I think assumed I did. The agenda was just to help the sport grow. That's all like to just do use my skills and time and, and money to do good for the sport. But there's just always going to be people you rub the wrong way or whatever. And I've had my share of that. And, and I learned a lot too. Like, like I, um, probably baited people, you know, a little bit too much at first. Um, and, and I, I learned that I wanted flat track live to not have an opinion. Like, and that took me a while to get there. So I, I learned a lot. If you, if you look at flat track live posts over the years, um, I, I had, I expressed opinion, not exactly opinions, but you know, you, you could read between the lines and, and I, I'm trying to kind of bait people on. And I learned over time not to do that. And just to be neutral, I'm just presenting the facts I'm putting them out there and let people talk. But I, I, me at having the same time, every, like every big popular news outlet, you know, ESPN sports center, Fox sports, they, you know, what content people want to see because of the engagement. So if you post a Henry Wiles and Sammy Halbert argument on Facebook live and it gets 200,000 comments or views, you're going to post another one because that's what people want to see. So, um, oh, hell yeah. so it's not really, I, I don't even know if I would say you were baiting people cause they choose the writers choose whether or not to respond to it. You're just giving the people what, the, what is interesting. It's interesting content. And a lot of that you don't see anymore because of flat track lives. Not, it's not around right now. So it's, it's robotic interviews. It's, it's all, you know, things like that. When you had flat track live, you know, which rider hated one another, you know, which, you know, which track we didn't want to go to. And that kind of was maybe that what Sammy was getting that a little controversial because, you know, you kind of opened that outlet up to us where we could kind of speak our minds. And now it's now we don't really have that outlet, which we're trying to give a little bit on the podcast, but it's uh, 
yeah, what, what you did was like a lot of raw content, and that's why the fans really liked it. And we kind of yeah. could follow along with like, you know, the Sammy Henry rivalries, um, just like all the cool videos of them like on the podium afterwards, just not liking each other. And all that content is stuff that you brought to it. So I thought that was really cool. You know, you saw a lot of rider personality in, in the shit you put out. So. Yeah, no, no, thank you. And and I definitely um would study what worked. Like I'm I'm a marketer. That's my background. I, I worked in marketing my whole career. Not just not just, you know, small time marketing, like like working for a Fortune five hundred company, managing, you know, a, a big budgets. So I'm I'm a marketer. And and, and I've always run um Flat Talk Live as a marketer, you know, it's a hobby. But yeah, how can I maximize engagement? How can I um, you know, get as many fans as possible to to um, you know, sign on or whatever so it definitely um i i i think i hear what you're saying too about it did fill a void i haven't been following flat track for the past couple of years i've been so busy here in australia that i had to put flat track live on hold actually because if i'm going to do something i want to do it well and and i would have to do it um half fast right now and, and that I'd rather just kind of put it on hiatus. So Flat Track Live will come back. In the meantime, there's a huge, huge library of videos. For whatever reason, no one was filming these races when I was filming. Like, there's a lot of races I filmed that I was the only person in the world filming. And they were epic you know, there were epic moments and I captured a lot of them and that video lives on. And so um, I, I see just the engagement. I, I, I rarely post on flat track live. Now, I think I've only posted recently when, when someone that I considered to be a legend in the sport passed away, you know, I just feel like, like I, I want to honor them. But outside of that, I, I, I haven't had any time to spend on content yet. There's still so much engagement. I get constantly, you know, notifications on Facebook of likes and shares and it's just, it's incredible. And, and I feel like that library of work I did will live on forever. And so I'm super proud of that. We could talk about stuff all night, but you mentioned Flat Track Live is coming back. I'm sure some of the fans are listening now and they're getting pretty amped up. So what's the present look like for you and what's the future look like for you for Miriam and, and Flat Track and things like that? So I came to Australia in July of 2017 to help a friend and I ended up opening a body shop. Covert <laughs> smash, baby. So the friend is no longer a friend, but I own a body shop in Australia and I have my life savings invested in a business here. So I ain't going anywhere. I'm here in Australia for you know a while, which is, it's all good. Um, Australia has escaped the pandemic. Um, Australia's done an incredible job managing it. And so we are free to roam and do what we want. No masks. We can have big gatherings. Like, and it's it's because Australia just managed it from the get go. But because America hasn't, I can't go anywhere. The borders are closed. There's just nothing I could I could do in terms of you know going home. It might even be they're saying 2021. It might even be 2022 before wow. I can go back to America. They just don't know. But um, the the shop is so different like when you walk into my shop it looks like no other body shop in the world and it's because my passion memorabilia everywhere in fact um we had a domino's pizza delivery man come last week and he walked in and he said what even is this 
Like he didn't know what kind of business he walked into. And the truth is it could be any business. Like, cause my passion is, is what's reflected in the lobby and it has nothing to do with the business. So, so this could be a daycare center. It could be a, you know, a bagel <laughs> shop. You wouldn't know. And, and I love that a body shop that doesn't look like a body shop. I feel like I'm winning. So I'm just so focused on on my business here, and it's a lot of work. I have 14 employees. We fix lots of, I mean, dozens and dozens of cars every week. Um, I work with all the big insurance companies here, and I have an awesome team. And so they know how to do all the smash repair stuff, and and they call they do because I don't I don't really know a lot about it. But but I run I run kind of the business and and focus on the financials and legal issues and HR. And it, it's definitely a full-time job for me. Um, yes. So right now I have, I don't have time to even think about motorcycle racing, but, but a couple of years from now, who knows? What do you miss the most about like being in the racing, the racing world, like the flat track stuff? Yeah. I mean, obviously my, my best friends, I, I met them all through motorcycle racing. So, so I miss them, but, but just the excitement on race day, you know, and God, I, if anyone followed me around on race day, when I was covering for flat track live, um, I was like wide open. I mean, I was as wide open as Corey out there on the racetrack in my own way, in my own world, you know, different, but the same, like, like, like I, I nonstop. And I was going doing like a billion things at once. I'm like selling stuff and, and talking to people and, and uh, videoing and uploading stuff and, I mean, and answering texts and, you know, like out of control. And I, and so I just miss that energy. Like I'm so, I'm, Corey and I have a lot in common. We're both hyperactive. And so I thrive in that kind of environment. And so, so I, I take the same energy here to my shop and everyone looks at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> like take it down. <laughs> so I miss it. Um, I don't have to watch that many of the races now just because, of the time difference or I forget, you know, I'm just not into it, I guess, because I'm into this. So, so I'm, I miss, I miss that. Yeah. Well, man, it was really cool to get some insight from you. A lot of, a lot of the fans and racers that maybe just got into it or they just got into the sport. They might not even know anything about flat track live. So we wanted to get you on and, and give some of your background story and, uh, it was just good chatting with you, man. I haven't, I haven't talked to you or seen you in a long time and, You've done a lot for the sport. You've done a lot for me personally. You know, if you've helped me with some social media stuff and let me stay at your house and mm-hmm. things like that. So it's certainly appreciated. And yeah, the fans over here, we, we, we miss you. We, we miss your content and we appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. Now, thank you for having me. I'm happy to come on anytime. Um, and, and to the fans, um, I, I miss T-Hall. I really do. Like that was such flat track live was such a great era of my life. And, um, I look forward to someday, um, bringing it back. And again, I don't know in what form it'll come back. Cause, um, the, the media world changes so fast. I was doing play by play initially on flat track live. And then I switched to video and then the sanctioning body said, I can't shoot video, you know? And so you're like, okay, now what do I do? Like, you just have to adapt to to the times, both in terms of whatever constraints are placed on you and kind of, you know, the world and how it's changing and how are people consuming media and how can you produce content that is, I always, I always looked for unique, engaging content. That's what I wanted. So I didn't share anything on Flat Track Live. Um, You'll notice that I, I wanted to have um, just fresh content. If you want the same old, same old, go elsewhere. If you want something new and different that you don't see elsewhere, that you find at Flat Track Live. And I took that real seriously. And, and that's where I'd invest time and money creating content for the site. And, and I think that's what you really need to do um, 
in, in this day and age in order to, to be successful in the social media world is just to have fresh, engaging content. That's, um, that's been true. I think ever since, you know, social media started and, and I don't think that's changed, but what is fresh and engaging changes over time. But anyhow, um, thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you and talk flat track. I haven't talked flat track for ages. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's really good to have you on. You know, it really is. So, um, I guess one last thing, I I personally want to, and, and I'm gonna back you in the corner on this one. I want to ask you if uh, you can go to one race on the national circuit again, whether it's there or not. What 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 race is your favorite race to go to? Yeah, oh, that's such an easy. Um question for me i love the lima half mile there is no other race that even compares put me at a half mile fairgrounds cushion racetrack in the midwest i mean ohio i lived i I lived in cleveland for 20 years so lima was my hometown race but just not just the track it's the atmosphere that just Harley's lined up in the parking lot for miles and everyone's just having a good time. Everyone's out at the hotels having fun. You know, you just walk around and everyone's friendly and, and, and just having a good time, enjoying life. Um, so Lima, for me, epitomizes what flat track racing is all about. Midwestern half mile fairground, and then the cushion track where people run multiple lines, and you know you fall, you want to run balls to the wall, you know, and you know you you know go for it, and you, I just love that, and I've seen some of the most epic racing at Lima, so that is the easiest um, question ever. I knew you were going to answer that one, so yeah, mm-hmm. thanks again, Miriam, for coming on. We'll let you get back to work. Busy Friday, like you said, for yeah. you, and we'll check in with you soon. So thanks again. Stay safe. Later. Yep, you too. Bye. See ya. Wow, what an epic show, man. We had, uh, you know, an integral part of our sports history with uh, Miriam and Flat Track Live and everything she'd done. And talk about a legend of legends, Jay Springsteen. Corey, how do you wrap this up, man? How many beers have you had tonight, bro? So many. I've been enjoying every one of them. You're a little loosey-goosey, bro. I am, man. I am. I'm like, you know, I knew this was going to be a great ass show. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just enjoy my time tonight because I want to savor every moment of this. And I hope every one of you listening is uh, doing the exact same, savoring every moment of this show because All right, this Dr. is Phil, one for take, the book. Take her down a notch, dude. Take her down. <laughs> this is the one for the book. Insightful <laughs> Ivan over there. All right. We want to uh, we want to thank our sponsors and make this happen. <laughs> Bell Power Sports. As always, check them out. Bellhelmets.com. View their full line of products. Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems at Dallas, Texas. CommercialRoofSystems.net. Big shout out to Jerry for always helping us out and supporting the sport. DID Chains, the driving force behind countless championships since 1933. That is a long-ass time of putting out quality products. Make sure you hit them up on the social media, at DID Chain, with any questions on the products or to get some advice on what they feel is the best option for your motorcycle. And also a shout-out to AIM Sports. They're the worldwide leader in motorsports data acquisition displays and sensors. Uh, I use them, the G&G Racing Team, Ben Lau, a lot of other guys use them in the sport and many series around the country. Check them out on Facebook at AIM Sports LLC and Instagram at AIM Sports Data. Uh, real fast, Sammy, I wanted to mention she has a 
Miriam said she has a writing or a journalism mentor, and uh, Chris Jonah, uh, he's phenomenal. But no, I, I wanted to give a shout out to my own personal journalist mentor. He listens to every one of our shows. He always retweets them and, and gives me a lot of feedback. He got me my job at Cycle World where I was doing some uh you know, some articles and stuff for Cycle World and does a lot for me. Now he works for American Motorcyclist, and that's Matthew Miles. Uh, big wow. shout out to Matthew Miles for she got to talking about how uh, she had a mentor in journalism. And I was thinking, man, Matt, that, that's my Matthew. That, that's he's done a lot for me and he's a big supporter of our show. So um, that's awesome. That's really awesome. That's all I got, man. I Epic show. A lot, a lot for you guys to listen. Dude, this one's a good. I mean, I say this every time, and I mean it wholeheartedly. They're all every, good. They're all good, man. They they're really are. But good, you know, dude. like this is a good one, Corey. This is a good one. Well, Shayna texted me the other day, and she says I curse too much. So I don't know. I haven't heard you curse once on this show. Bro, I just I? Said, I just dropped the f bomb like literally Wait. a sentence before just now. Say it again. Uh man, right. I don't know. Shane is yeah, say it again. <laughs> uh, <fuck> it. <laughs> no. Ah, there you go. <laughs> well, oh, guys, man. we appreciate it. Sammy's been crushing social media. Carter's been crushing content and edits and things like that. We'll keep them coming your way. Keep supporting us. Subscribe, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. Leave us a review, good or shitty. We want to hear them. And that's all I got, Sammy. Yeah, that's all I got. And I, I, I just want to add real quick. Um, I love all the feedback that we're getting on social media. I love the engagement. I love you guys talking about the old school vote because you guys know me at heart. I'm an old school guy. I'm an old soul. So I love the old school engagement and talking about the old shit and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, we, we cover all bases on this show from way back to to right now, this moment. So, Corey, that's all I got. Let's keep it rolling. Until next time, peace. Peace. All right, boys. Dude, that was a good ass show. That was yeah. that was a good one. It's long as fuck. Corey's ready to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Springer was cracking cold ones. Judy was drinking vodka, yeah. and I'm like, you know what? It's Springer Man. I mean, it's not every day you get you get to talk to Springer Man. So I was like, I got to go for it, man. I mean, I got to drink some cold ones, and uh, so I I I've been uh, having a good time tonight by myself. Mission accomplished. All right, thanks, Carter. Thanks, Sammy. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'll holler at you, boys. Good one. All right, good one. See ya.